Hi, this is County Executive Barry Glassman, and you're listening to Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties. Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here, Policy Associate at MAKO, joined as always by my co-host, MAKO's Executive Director, Michael Sanderson. Hey, Kevin. How are you today? Hanging in there. This is uh, the last couple weeks of session are always a little tumultuous, and this is no exception. No exception. Tumultuous <laughs> may be an understatement, uh, and we'll get into that in a little bit uh, from stuff that happened today. But today on the podcast, we're going to talk about School construction, specifically the not commission legislation. We have discussed this on the podcast in the past, but um, there is a lot of drama in the General Assembly right now as it relates to this bill. <laughs> we'll give you a refresh of what's in the bill and just explain exactly what's going on. It's in the news. I'm sure you've heard about it, but we'll give you an explanation of exactly what's happening. We'll also talk about the Forest Conservation Act. We've also discussed that on the podcast. Uh, there's a smaller scale uh, bill that is, uh, seems to be moving a bit at least. Uh, a little bit of drama there as well. We'll get into that. We'll also discuss, uh, discuss cybersecurity, how it is in the news, and, uh, and how the legislature in Maryland is handling that. And uh, we'll discuss and give a recap of the last meeting of our MAKO Legislative Committee. It was a great meeting yesterday as we record here on Friday. We had the comptroller and the treasurer there, so we'll give you a recap and, and discuss that a bit. So, Michael, let's first get into school construction and the big news of the day here in Annapolis, the debate on the Senate floor this morning, there was a filibuster. <laughs> a, a, a mini filibuster, but uh, didn't but, last very but, long. But, but nonetheless, um, this is this is sort of a, a term of art in legislative bodies. Uh, it, it's it's allowable under the rules of the Maryland Senate that basically having the floor is a right for a member of the Senate. It's different than the House of Delegates here. It's a similar similar split in rules that they have in the U.S. Congress, but in the Senate. Uh, once you have been have been recognized as a member of the Senate, you're entitled to continue talking unless the body affirmatively decides to limit debate to a certain time. So there's no there's no similar privilege in the House of Delegates, but a filibuster nominally is to take a, t- a topic, and unless there's a supermajority vote to close debate, you can just talk and talk and talk and ask questions or do whatever you want to do. Um, not necessarily to vote or to vote the item down, but to prevent it to come, you know, coming up for an actual vote. Right. So there were a number of senators who got up and spoke about this bill. And then uh, the minority leader in the Senate, Senator J.B. Jennings, started to read a book on the Board of Public Works and its history. He got through a bit of that book. Uh, <laughs> and then there was a motion um, to end debate or to uh, reserve debate for 45 minutes on each side. That motion passed, and eventually the bill was voted, and they actually passed the bill. So the House has already passed this not bill. Now the Senate has passed the bill. And I guess we should first get into exactly what's in the bill. Mako has been heavily invested in the process of determining what should be in this bill in the not commission work group. So, Michael, let's talk a bit about What's in this bill? Right. How, uh, how do we get here? Right? How do we get here? And, right. and what is the issue right. now that's causing all of this drama in the General Assembly? Well, I mean, you're, you're right. There's a there's a separate issue here. But I mean, lying in the background of the issue of the moment, there's a there's a there's a political and and sort of 
um, accountability issue that has that has taken front and center, and that's mm-hmm. that's that's the the bright lights right now. Mm-hmm. But lying in the background, this is a fifty-page bill that's full of ideas and recommendations and deep thinking from a group that spent two years looking at how can we improve and streamline and modernize the way we do school projects in Maryland. This is a, there's some visionary good stuff in this bill. A, a lot of things that Mako really would like to see come together. Um, now we're in a tricky spot of we didn't get every every single thing we wanted right. in this bill, and it's it's not necessarily a home run, but there's an awful lot to like. Sure. Um, so now, uh, in addition to all these things about changing systems and streamlining and innovation and alternative financing and things like that, which is always part of the bill, mm-hmm. there's now an extra component that talks about the state approval process and selection process for school projects. How do you pick them? How do you fund them? Do you know, what's the process for that? And, and, and where should that reside in the structure of state government? So currently, the Board of Public Works, which consists of the governor, the comptroller, and the treasurer, has the ability to regulate, allocate, uh, withhold funds of school construction. Um, this bill would delete them from having those abilities, and it would create a new commission in this role. So the interagency, uh, the, the interagency uh, school commission or commission is right now uh, exists. However, this bill would expand that commission. It would create a new position, and they would be the ones who would be in charge of uh, having authority over school construction allocations um, in a quote unquote independent and merit based manner. So essentially, right. what you're doing is you're taking away the ability for the governor, the comptroller, and the treasurer to sit and uh, and hear from local school districts and mm-hmm. have them explain why they need funds and i think you could you could say i think everyone would agree that at some times that process is used as a bully pulpit yeah. uh, you know there are different different debate there but I, one of the issues you said earlier was accountability mm-hmm. um the 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 opponents of making this change say that the board of public works whether you love it or you hate it they do ensure that there is a public debate and that they're holding school systems accountable for money that they're receiving or, you know, for projects that they want to uh, to undertake. Mm-hmm. This has become extremely political. And I mean, the frustrations with the the school construction process and, and the way it works before the Board of Public Works and so forth, this is not a new thing. This is, there's There has been some degree of tension about that process. I mean, everybody in town refers to the big day for school construction issues before the Board of Public Works as the begathon. Right. And for, for years, that's been the sort of the, in, the, the public joke is that you bring all your people, you wear your nicest suit, you show up, you make your case that this project is so important, it's so essential. And that the Board of Public Works serves as a an arbiter of okay, we got to figure out which ones we can afford because we have to say no to a, to a lot of projects. Many of them that are worthy. So okay, that's that's an inherently political process as well as as some degree of review and accountability. So you know, some people come away with hard hard, hard feelings. Uh, some people feel like the process is is disrespectful and and whatnot. So so that's been lying in the background. This is this didn't start this week, right. but um, the notion of this becoming an element in this bill really did just start about a week ago uh, when when. A work group of legislators from both the House and the Senate were going through nuts and bolts of this bill, an amendment to change the review process, put 
it in the hands of the IAC, this new body that would be really into the Department of Education, which is kind of autonomous. I mean, the, the, the membership is appointed in various ways. The details there are not, not really our cup of tea. But right. anyway, that's become a big lightning rod issue. So the House passed the bill uh, with that amendment, and it went over to the Senate. Mm-hmm. The Senate got the bill, and they referred it to the appropriate committee. Um, immediately, after- and, and remember, this is a bill that had to go. To, like we've we've talked about process, and and this is a bill that missed that crossover deadline. Yes, yes. So it had to go to the Senate Rules Committee, where it was nominally stuck in the Rules Committee, and then got referred out of rules to the Budget and Taxation Committee, who does school school construction and financing issues. So that's the ordinary process, but this happened on a fast track. Fast track. So the, <laughs> the bill was, was on the floor, and uh, immediately the members from the Budget and Taxation Committee left the floor, and they went and voted favorably on the bill. It came back to the floor, and you could hear uh, sort of a scuffle and papers yeah. you know, flying around of, of senators saying, what's going on here? Right. Did they just vote favorably on the bill? I thought we were going to have a hearing, whatnot. Right. And then the debate really began, and it has uh, lasted a couple of days. And, and now we're at this point. But there were a number of amendments offered to the bill. All those amendments failed. And again, today the bill was passed on third reader. So uh, we mentioned that uh, the governor now uh, will get the bill, and the question is, will he veto the bill? He has not indicated for sure that he will veto the bill. He has indicated that he doesn't like the provision that removes the BPW that we just discussed. But if he does veto the bill, Michael, so uh, we have – the General Assembly has until Friday – to get him the bill or what could happen. Right. So there's there's a process in the Maryland Constitution about, like most places, the governor has the ability to veto legislation and the legislature can override the veto. Now, it's important to remember, though, unlike some places, the governor does not have line item veto power. So That's right. So he could, if he did have that line item veto power, he could just take that Wipe the one out, section out, right? right. But yeah. he can't do that. Not in Maryland. The governor in Maryland has extraordinarily strong powers in the budget process. Um, instead of having a line item veto, Maryland has a general provision called the single subject rule that every piece of legislation has to be nominally about the same topic. You can't have a giant toboggan with, like the like things we see in Congress. Right. Not, not that this is right or wrong, but in, in Congress you can see unrelated things become riders on one bill. Um, so <laughs> Sometimes, right? right? Or, or, you know, ends up being, you know, well, there's six things we're trying to do, let's put it all into the veteran spending bill. That happens in, in D.C. It nominally doesn't happen in, in an app. Right. So um, the, the the process here now we've got some interesting timing and w- without getting too tedious, there's there's sort of a different set of rules if for legislation that's passed during the legislative session while the governor has six days skipping Sundays for some reason, um, but he has a six-day window of time to decide whether to veto a bill and then return it back to the legislature for them to react. Or lots of cases, a lot of bills get passed on the very last few days of the session. They're presented when the session is over. Then the governor has a longer window of time to decide what to do. Then the legislature can nominally wait until the following year. Or if it holds a special session from time to time, they'll, they'll, they'll convene a special session and you would consider veto overrides at that point. 
So, okay, so that's where we are. Right. This deadline of Friday, you know, Friday um, with just you know a week and a half or so left in session is the practical deadline for the legislature to put this bill on the governor's desk. So the six day clock runs out before the end of the legislative session. And because uh, this is an election year, there is not an option to wait until next year right. to override the governor's veto, right? So they had to fast track this bill unless they wanted to come back for a special session to override the right. veto. And I mean, n- number one, the reason it's like, well, why, why can't you just come back next year and have whoever the new senators and delegates are take a vote? I mean, nominally this bill is the property of the current general assembly. And mm-hmm. after the election, you have new people being seated and so forth to, to have them take up the vote on a matter that they hadn't voted on before is I mean, it, there's a reason that's in the constitution. Mm-hmm. So this, this, this is a quirky circumstance. It's once every four years you're in exactly this spot and we've got a peculiar and and very thorny bill so the smart money is on the governor vetoes the bill um we'll see this issue pop up at the earliest you know friday or saturday before the end of session right but more likely it'll be on monday april 10th um or april 9th right excuse me monday april 9th the very last day of session and we'll see the house and the senate both reconvene to talk about this and to override the veto they need a super majority vote of the full members uh there were and, and that vote today in the senate there were exactly 29 votes uh to to shut down debate and then the same 29 votes to pass it on third reader that's that's no wiggle room. You right. can't lose one of those votes because right. uh, the override requires another another sixty you percent know, vote. That's twenty nine senators. So they so there'll be some wrangling going on uh, over the next few days. I'm sure uh, with with folks trying to get someone to flip, uh, you know, to, to to flip their vote so that they wouldn't have that twenty nine to actually um, override the veto, but. This is going to be a, a hot ticket debate uh, throughout the end of the session and, and most likely on the last day of session, which is, like you mentioned, right. the smart money at this point in, in my mind as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing that's tricky just from county government's perspective, I mean, if you're just, you know, having the popcorn and the cheap seats and listening to this debate, it's fascinating. The players who are involved and the way this is connected to people who are in close races is really interesting politically. From county governments, though, we're in a tough spot here. We are big stakeholders in the school construction process. We took as one of our top initiatives for this year was let's let's make the whole process for picking and funding schools as smart and effective and, and efficient as possible. There's a lot in this bill that we like. And now all that stuff, its fate is connected to this big bill that now has this other subject. It's it's also about school construction. It's not like it's a violation of that single subject rule, but the the fate of this bill is going to come down to the political stuff as opposed to all the substantive stuff that a lot of us really care about. And that they work two yeah. years yeah. Um, to make these recommendations. So uh, again, this is a uh, hot ticket item. We will keep mm-hmm. you uh, we'll keep you informed of what's happening. But tune in next week. We'll have an update on this for sure. Uh, Let's now get into the Forest Conservation Act. We've talked about this uh, on previous episodes, and initially there was a a big bill. Uh, Mako obviously has concerns here um, that even the best uh, comprehensive plans could be undermined by the bill that was originally introduced. Mm -hmm. Um, That bill is no longer with us, (laughs) right? There were a lot of issues with the bill. That bill was gutted, and there was an interesting process there as well. That bill got onto the Senate floor, right. and they special ordered the bill for a week so that right. they could convene a work group 
to try and work out the issues in the bill. And that, that is really peculiar, Rare. really peculiar. I mean, in, in the Senate, um, th- this is all happening after that crossover deadline. So right. you've already missed the, the basic, you know, get your bills out. We already missed that deadline. And then this bill makes it to the floor of the Senate with some amendments, but in a, in a form that a number of the groups who were really advocating for the bill, they were still happy with what was left in it gets to the floor of the Senate, there's sort of a sense of smell that there's going to be trouble on the floor. And so the committee leadership and and the, and the, the floor leader effectively agree to take a delay. And the typical special order, that motion, let, let's take this up and make it a special order of business at a future time, is 99 times out of 100. That's for a day. Yeah, we'll take day. it up take it up tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And instead, they're like, let's just go all the way to next Monday. They took an entire week off. With the subtext being, let's see if we can get everybody to work this stuff out. Right. <laughs> they weren't they weren't able to do that. Right. Um, so now there is another bill that um, is essentially a work group that would uh, take place over the interim to sort of study and look at at this bill. There there are a lot of issues that we have with the bill. You know, there, it, we don't want to get into all that, but yeah. data and maps and you know yeah. priority forest areas. There's, it's very thick. It's gone through a lot of iterations, it though. On the Senate, I mean, it starts out as a robust bill. Uh, it gets effectively watered down some degree by the committee and sent to the floor. After this week-long delay and then interest groups going back and forth and exchanging amendments and different ideas and so forth, the committee, to everybody's surprise, uh, the floor leader offers up a new amendment and says, no, 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 we'll take, we'll take the weakened, weakened bill, we'll get rid of that whole thing mm-hmm. and turn it into a study group or task force right. and then we'll so that's now what the bill looks like and then even that was subjected to more floor amendments and the floor leader took them as friendly everybody adopted them people are looking around trying to figure out what, what's left in this bill it's something like I, I i've lost count it's like 38 members on this task force and there's people from you know from left right and center who are going to study this whole long list of things the house was never wild about the task force idea in the first place they killed something like this last year right so it's i mean this is this is a subject that a lot of people care about there's a number of interest groups in and around annapolis who see this as a priority and for some people it's like the last thing left on the list that is a common mentality in the legislative session you start out with seven things that are on your list you're down to one you just you 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 invest your time in what's left. Yeah, and so for the environmentalists, this this is the last thing that's left. So they are very invested. They they want to get something. So I think at this point they would take this you know thirty eight or whatever it is member work group to to try and look at this <laughs> and study these issues that are outstanding. Um, but as you said, the the house last year killed a very similar bill. They didn't like the idea. So. It'll be very interesting to see exactly what happens in the house. Right. And so and so this is this is how these things break down. Sometimes we're just talking about the school construction issue and all eyes are really on the Senate. It's probably the Senate and the final override vote in the Senate. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the arbiter of whether that bill is going to pass, whether everything comes together. Reverse is true here. The, the Senate was always interested in doing something on the forest conservation bill. It's a matter of the House, the Environment and Transportation Committee, and its leadership um, trying to decide what they, you know, are they going to pass any bill? Do they want to do this kind of a study? Do they want to refine it or guide it? That sort of thing. It'll ultimately be the House and the House Committee, I think, who who shape what this what this final product might be. Also, another issue, this is an election year, right? So so to have so told, yeah. legislators uh, sitting on a study over the interim uh, is, is probably not too popular, uh, especially a, a large number of legislators sitting on 
a commission and a work group to try and, and work this stuff out. Uh, they need to be back in their districts. They need to be campaigning. So I think that's just another wrinkle in, in right. this whole thing. So I mean, protecting forests is is a is a high priority, and and you know making sense of that makes a lot. I mean, let's just just be thankful we're not in the situation Guam is in because they they have a, they have a real problem. Yeah, Guam. Uh, I think they they have a number of problems. Well, in, uh, they have they have a forest. Their forests are dying. They have they have a, a, a tree snake problem. There, the tree snakes are eating the birds, and the forests are dying. None of the other. It's, I'm telling you, it's a real big problem. It sounds so, like they need yeah, a, at least a work group. They, they should come Guam. up here. They should come up here and and you know see how. Sit we're in doing on the work group. Yeah. <laughs> if there is a work group. Maybe, right? See. All right. On that note, uh, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. After the break, we'll get into cybersecurity uh, and, and how it is in the news and how it affects uh, state and local governments. We'll also talk about the last meeting of our legislative committee. We'll give you a recap. All that and more after the break. Welcome back to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson. And Michael, um, let's get into cybersecurity. And uh, we have seen a number of recent incidents in the news. Um, most recently here in Maryland, uh, the 911 system in Baltimore City was the victim of a hack. Uh, the, the hackers used ransomware to mm-hmm. attack the 911 system, the CAD system, the computer aid dispatch. Uh, the 911 system was not completely shut down, but obviously uh, it's concerning when you have uh, this sort of an issue. We've also seen Atlanta essentially paralyzed right. by an attack where this is this is becoming common, where uh, hackers are able to get into your IT infrastructure and shut it down and essentially hold you hostage right. until you pay them money. They're in, down in Atlanta writing everything out by hand. They're not taking job applications at the moment. Uh, obviously, they're having issues with the courts and the jails. Right. And I think they just got the okay to turn their computers back on um, from the local government there. But this is an issue that is in the news. We're seeing this happen more and more, and we're seeing how it can really cause problems for state and local governments and, and of course, the federal government as well. So this is this is one of these topics where – Governments are not the only targets, but we are pretty alluring targets to people who want to cause this kind of mischief or make money this way or whatever, you know, whatever the motivation is, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a public entity, whether whether you're angry with the government or it's just they're out there and they can probably afford to to make a payment. So, yeah, it's it's sort of the same thing with lawsuits. And we Mm -hmm. get we get tied up in a lot of lawsuits because people say, hey, you know, the county or the state can can write a two hundred thousand dollar check, um, so I'll go after them because they got the deep pocket. I think there's a similar mentality. This is it's just uh, it's just part of doing business in a modern context. You 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 have to provide a lot of services and a lot of information electronically. Every every government at just about every level has an internet presence and an email systems and technology like nine one one call centers. Right, you right. can't do that without being you know plugged in electronically. Uh, so there, I mean, it's there's an inherent vulnerability issue there. This is a bigger and bigger part of what the the game of local government is about. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing legislation now that has to do with election systems. We all have heard about uh, the Russian intrusion on not only Maryland but 
other states' uh, elections infrastructure uh, during the last presidential election and prior to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are bills seeking to address that as well. And, Michael, we also saw uh, something in Caroline County recently uh, where they uh, were breached. And, again, these are sophisticated hackers that mm-hmm. are using sophisticated methods uh, to try and break into these data systems. And county governments, local governments, are doing everything we can um, and I know you can right. mention in a moment the resources that, you know, we've partnered with some folks to provide. Right. Yeah. But, but you know, this is always uh, it's always going to be an issue. And I think we need to be proactive in sure. how we deal with this. And just to plug one of our, uh, our initiative bills that we got passed, we, you've heard us talk about the 911 commission bill um, for next generation 911. One of the specific charges of this commission that will be established uh, is to look at cybersecurity threats and how to best identify and prevent them in a next generation 911 world. So I think we are trying to to look down the road and and identify these issues and I think that's a great step in the right direction but you know as we as we said this is not just 911 call centers this is everything you're connected to the internet you're vulnerable. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely true. Uh, the 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 Mako board of directors, I mean, you know, we're 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 known as we do advocacy work and we do education and conferences for our members and so forth and that's a, a valuable part of what we bring to the table. We're also always hungry for service that we can deliver or or help organize back to to member counties. Just within the last couple of years, Mako has teamed up with the Center for Internet Security, which is you know, a, a national group um, that receives a lot of federal grant funding, but also has an independent side. Um, they they now provide service to eight or nine different counties in in Maryland, and they they sort of have an on call system as well. If you have if you have a breach or you have a hack, uh, they can show up and help out right away. Uh, this is it's a sensible thing for 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 mako to do on behalf of our members is try and you know negotiate an agreement with a group like that who understands the specific nature of local government we're different from walmart in in some respects some in some you know i mean they may have deep pockets too but the kind of the kind of information that we keep, you know, tax rolls and, you know, employee records and other things like that. There's a lot of things that are that are unusual uh, in, in local government and sensitive. So having having a team like that who can help out a jurisdiction who's who's in a tough spot, uh, that's that's a good partner for us. Yeah, and they are great. I mean, they've come down and, and they've spoken at our conferences and, and they always give a fantastic presentation. Many of these services are available for free. You just right. need to sign up. And, yeah. of course, then they have services that you can pay for. But the vast majority of what they provide is free. Yeah. And, I mean, not taking advantage of, of their tools that they can use to, to prevent these kind of attacks and, and let you know when something has happened and then respond. Uh, I think you're not you're not taking advantage of that is is a mistake. So yeah. um, we can always provide you more information if you're listening to this podcast and you're saying, "Hey, we should be doing that." Yeah. Just let Mako know, and we'll certainly get you in touch yeah. with the right people. I mean, we have another great partner, uh, the Local Government Insurance Trust. Uh, legit. I mean, that, that's this is this is owned and operated by the member county and municipal governments across Maryland, and this was built for general liability, and they insure property and stuff like that too. Mm-hmm. But over the last five or six years, legit has developed a standalone offering for cyber coverage. Understanding, you know, it's just it's a different kind of insurance than just your conventional oh slip and fall or you know you're 
engaged in a, you know, employment case or that sort of stuff. And we ensure that stuff too, mm-hmm. but, but legit, um, understands that cyber is unusual. It's, it's a different, com- it's a different category and we need it. So, yeah, so they've got a good offering there too. We're living in the digital world. Uh, we've talked about mm-hmm. that in a number of bills we've discussed over the past few weeks. And, and this is a whole new world. This is a whole new issue. So, uh, I think that it's great to see legit evolving mm-hmm. and, and and ensuring that there are options uh, for county governments to be protected. And then, of course, our other partnerships do a great job as well. So reach yeah. out to Mako. Let us know if, if you want some information there. But I would highly recommend um, that you take advantage of these programs that are offered. Yeah. And, and, and in the legislature, I think... I think everybody's heart is in the right place. They've 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 had you know joint work groups on on cyber issues and so forth. There's a number of people in the legislature who have taken this up as as a you know, primary focus of of their legislative package each year. So that's I mean that's um, unfortunately that's where we are, yeah. right? Uh, you know you you mean thinking about and defending against these sort of attacks is just the nature of the modern world. So let's you know let's work on this stuff together. Be smart about it. Yeah, I mean, the legislature is certainly working on it. Legislatures across the country are working on it. But, you know, we're going to continue to see this stuff pop up. We just need to be prepared for it. So, again, uh, keep your eye out. Uh, We'll update you with the progress of any of these investigations that are going on here in Maryland. The FBI is involved in Baltimore City. We hope that they catch the perpetrators quickly. Uh, And, and of course, Atlanta and across the country, we've seen these issues pop up. So, uh, Michael, let's finally get into... Uh, on Wednesday, yesterday, we had our last meeting for 2018 of the MAKO Legislative Committee. We had the Comptroller come in. We had the Treasurer come in. It was mm-hmm. quite a star-studded roster mm-hmm. for Maryland politics. Um, I thought it was a really good vibe. I thought it was a really good meeting. And again, I thought particularly that it was a great example of how MAKO's leadership, local elected officials, drive the bus here at Mako. Yeah. I mean, so we, we we've talked about this a, a little bit and, and the, you know, the, the grinding gears here at, at, at the, at our association is not necessarily the most fascinating thing, but part of the credibility, a great deal of our credibility and effectiveness comes from the fact that our decisions are driven by our elected officials. And we really have, I mean, I, I, I take the attendance roles at each one of these meetings and I'm going down and it's usually 22 or 23 out of 24 counties have an elected official in the room helping guide our decisions every week. And we bring them in for seven or eight straight weeks and for, you know, for a two, two and a half hour, you know, uh, in, engagement um, on, on Wednesday mornings here at Mako. Plus drive time. Right. Yeah. So and, yeah, for, for some folks, that they, they definitely, you know, they lose a whole day. Mm-hmm. But that, it's, it's, that commitment is really valuable to us. And it's part of the reason that when people like you and I sit at the testimony table, we're taken seriously because it's not just you and I dreamed up, hey, we've decided to oppose this bill. It's like, no, we actually we talked to the professionals in county government, got the information about the bill. We talked to elected officials and they said, yep, we got to go in and raise our concerns. That's that's a different message coming from them. Absolutely. And I think it is a it's a it's a time commitment. And uh, I'm always very impressed to see the same faces in the room week after week after week engaged and uh, and and guiding Mako's principles and our positions um, on all of the bills that we take a look at. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the one of the big issues that, that popped up during our last meeting was tax reform, mm-hmm. right? And uh, we discussed this extensively. Uh, this has been an issue since the federal government passed uh, their tax package. 
Uh, Maryland as a state has been trying to figure out what to do. Um, and local governments obviously are impacted by what the federal government does, much like our state is impacted. But um, I know there is a lot of uncertainty about right. what will happen. Uh, we don't know how people are going to react to these changes. And I think it's it's tricky because, I mean, the state is just about to wrap up its legislative session. And it's no coincidence that local governments basically go next. There's There's an awful lot of decisions at the state level that drop right into the county budgets. So counties are just now starting to do their their first draft of what the county budget for next year might look like. We just saw Baltimore City release theirs this week. Mm -hmm. Um, It'll probably be the next few days. We'll see Montgomery and Prince George's County. They usually go early as well. In the next few weeks, we'll start seeing every jurisdiction, you know, run up the flagpole. Here's our first draft. We'll have public hearings and so forth. But what do you do in a year when your income tax, that's your that's your number two revenue source. I mean, property tax for almost every county is still number one. Right. But the income tax in Maryland is a big part of a county budget. And what do you do when that number has like three question marks after it, right. which you nobody knows where this is going to land. This is not... It's not as simple a matter as we just haven't run the numbers. This is not just a, this is a little more art than simple science. Right. You have um, to figure out how people are going to react, right? You can, right. You can run numbers all day, but until you, real, until you can see how people are going to react to these changes, it's really hard to come up with a number. And I think, you know, Baltimore City, you mentioned Baltimore City, they released their budget. And uh, I think they're, they, they're projected to have a bit of a windfall, but they've said, we're going to fence that off. We are not. We're going to treat that money like we don't have it because we don't want to be budgeting money that might not be there that we we don't know right. uh, for sure that it's going to be there or how much it's going to be. Yeah. So really I mean, responsible fiscal management. I mean, if you I mean, you make promises in a union contract or you pledge you're going to build a building or make some, you know, some sure. big investment in, in the budget. And then it turns out. Yeah, you know, it didn't really come together the way we were sort of guessing, and now our numbers are off by seven percent. You got yourself in a train wreck in the middle of a fiscal year. So, I think I think each jurisdiction is going to have to sort through what to do here. I mean, this is an election year, and I mean, it would be appealing to say let's let's build that building, sure. let's you know let's let's do that thing, right? Mm-hmm. Let's go let's go out and and pave some roads or whatever whatever, whatever is. Uh, uh, an attractive priority at, at home, you, you have to make a call. And um, I think this is, it, it's the, it's the, the shiftiest situation I think we've ever seen. It's been the toughest to forecast that, that, that anybody in public finance has ever had to worry about. Yeah, so, it's, it's interesting. It's a very interesting issue. It's very intriguing. Mm-hmm. We had a great discussion. Uh, and again, the consensus is we really don't know. This is a local decision. Localities, uh, counties are going to do what they're going to do. And I think, you know, they know what's best for their county. So we'll see. But uh, hopefully we have, you know, a better idea of what's going on when we see how people start to react um, to the changes. But um, don't don't uh, sleep on this issue because uh, it's not one that's going away um, because the General Assembly is going to adjourn. This is an issue that's going to continue uh, to impact counties as, as we move down the line. Right. So and this this will sort itself out over the next couple of months. 
Um, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're talking at the end of March. Most jurisdictions will have their budget done and in the books by the 1st of June. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the next couple of months, we'll see a lot of these del- deliberations. And I'm sure there'll be some counties who decide we're going to target a certain investment or we're going to wait halfway through the year and see how things look. Sure. And then we'll make another decision then. Uh, but it's going to be, it's going to be up in the air. I mean, without getting too technical, there's, there's a piece of this that is a really a complete unknown. And we, we talked about this a little bit, but most of this is we are the tail and the federal form is really the dog. Right. So it's, it's people, taxpayers trying to decide how they want to file their taxes in the way that is makes the most sense for them. I mean, you don't want to pay more taxes than you have to. So what if you have you know, a, a small business and you have most of your income in the form of partnership income or a limited liability company? That's kind of the trendy thing in LLC. Right. So over the last 30 years or so, lots of People who had sole proprietorships, now they've turned those into LLC, that sort of thing. Okay. And then I get a distribution from the LLC in lieu of a salary or whatever. That's a typical setup. Well, I mean, the federal government has just made the advantages of being an old school Chapter C corporation. Uh, You pay corporate income tax, and that was a big priority for federal tax reform. Let's reduce the rate on corporate income taxes. Well, that may mean it would behoove you to undo the paperwork you did 12 years ago to turn your old school corporation into an LLC, turn it back into a corporation because the tax treatment is better. Okay, that that's fine, except in the state of Maryland, uh, if you are a corporation, you pay tax on your income just to the state. Right. But if you have a pass-through and you pay, you pay all your income, you pay taxes based on personal income that's a pass-through to you, mm-hmm. that is a combination of a state income tax and a county income tax. So oddly... County governments are big stakeholders in what form of corporate structure does the mom and pop grocery store organize itself as. That's why this is tougher than just how many people are out there, how much do they make, run the numbers, and see what the taxes look like. Exactly. And real real quick, I think there's an interesting point here. A lot of people say, well, you know, uh, the the itemized deductions. Why Mm -hmm. don't we just let Marylanders itemize their deductions? The federal government's done away with it. But let's do that in Maryland. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the issue is that we piggyback off the IRS, right, the, the Internal Revenue Service at the federal level. They audit all of those right. uh, itemized deductions. We don't have a group of auditors at the mm-hmm. comptroller's office that could sift through just state itemized deductions. That's the problem. I know there's been a lot of discussion about that. Yeah. But I think that's probably the biggest issue with, well, why don't we just itemize deductions in Maryland? We don't mm-hmm. have the ability to audit um, those itemized deductions at a state level, right? And and it's it's just um, it's you you don't like to say that the administrative difficulty is going to get in the way of the policy that you want. Sure. But in but in this particular case, the idea of hiring an entirely new bureau full of auditors to go around and snoop through Marylander ta- Marylanders tax forms just for purposes of you know of mirroring yeah mirroring uh, what the system used to look like last mm-hmm. year and, and before is it, just it's it's a it's a tough pill to swallow and i think i think the the general assembly thought about this mm-hmm. they kicked the tires on this idea very seriously and and concluded the juice 
probably isn't worth the squeeze. I don't think this issue is going away. Right. What what we do with income taxes and where does this fit into you know the way you handle the lockbox for education and our future commitments to the Kerwin recommendations sure. and things like that. These are all connected. But as far as right now to say, all right, we've got the solution. We're going to do all these things, and it adds up to this many dollars exactly. You 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 could paint yourself in a corner there too. Yeah, and I mean the General Assembly, you know, they did work well together. They bipartisan. Uh, you know, recommendations from the the Budget and Taxation Committee in the Senate. The House did the same. This was, you know, you hear them on the floor of the House and the Senate, you know, patting each other on the back and talking about bipartisanship and how they work these issues out and they're doing what's best for the state with the information that they have. Um, but, but you know, it's a it's a very interesting issue. I think we could talk for hours about this. We will not subject <laughs> our listeners to that um, nerd fest. But um, just keep this on your radar. And yeah. I, I just I thought we had a great discussion at our legislative committee. Yeah. Anything else you want to uh, throw in about yesterday's uh, final legislative committee meeting? So I, I just think you know, we our timetable is we bring everybody to town for seven or eight meetings during the part of the session when bills are being introduced. And then our staff goes through, does that analysis and brings brings them to the legislative committee for a position. Then we take a few weeks off. So it is kind of interesting that at you know at the end of March or early April, we have this last meeting. We bring everybody together. We try and feed them a nice lunch as a, hey, thanks so much for all your time and trouble. But the agenda for that meeting is, hey, remember that little bill we talked about? But boy, did this turn into a big show. Right. Um, right. So like that's a big part of this meeting is is, you know, refreshing, you know, refreshing their recollection on a topic that's from five, six, seven weeks ago. By the way, this thing's still lingering out there, or you know, this is a giant issue and it just never came back. We had a good hearing, the bill's dead, or our, you know, our initiative bill on nine one one that's passing, everybody's happy about that. So it's 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 sort of a, a mixed bag of updates of you know what this thing we're panicking about, this thing is settled. Um, that's the nature of the the legislative session. You get down to the last couple of weeks, sort of like we mentioned on on a, on a bill earlier. And our list of I've, I've I've lost count of how many things we took a position on, but in the neighborhood of a hundred bills, and we're now down to practically looking at six or eight or ten things that are still in play. And each couple each couple of days, one's going to come drop off that list is resolved, it's passed, or it's dead, or whatever. Yeah. So that's that's where we are. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but Michael, you you told the legislative committee yesterday this is one of the best years for Mako that you have ever seen in all your years down here. Yeah, I, I think I think um, we've had re- we've fallen into some good fortune on a lot of issues, but um, a lot of that is earned too, that that we come to the table and try and be reasonable. There are times when we say, it's not that we are violently opposed to everything about this bill, but here are two real problems and that's going to make what we do locally you know, unworkable. And when we get brought to the table and someone says, we don't want to pass that bill if it's going to cause you those problems, so let's sort this out, help us rewrite that part of the bill, and then the MAKO amendments save the day. Yes. That's it's it's rewarding for us as staff and I think it also you, you we earn that reputation by being that player. Yeah, and in our legislative committee I means some of the meetings this year where they've taken positions on bills, some of the ideas that they've come up with, the creativity on how to fix an issue that's in a bill mm-hmm. and how to go to the table and work with a bill sponsor, work mm-hmm. with, you know, the stakeholders to fix the bill. Um, it, it's been awesome to see that process play out and I think they our legislative committee deserves a ton of credit 
um, for, for the work that they've put in. There's, there's not all that much in this process that is as simple as red and green buttons. Correct. Most of this is sit down, talk it through, work it out. I mean, the, the, the overwhelming majority, majority of bills that come out of their committee and get sent on for, for final passage, they're showing up with amendments. Mm-hmm. You need this change, you need this refined, change the timetable, change the definitions and so forth. There's a reason for that. It's a public process and stakeholders like us and, and dozens of other groups around town, uh, that's, that's how this is supposed to work. Yep, and it's great to see that process work. It's great to see good government in action. So we've got a little more than a week left in session. Um, the the, the wrap-up of each legislative session is exciting with a bunch of stuff going on. So I think we'll come back and do another pod as we get close. Mm-hmm. Like We'll do one late next week. And then let's let's pre-plan for an emergency pod right after, you know, not right after, not not twelve thirty in the morning, but I, <laughs> but I hope not, yeah. no, no, but uh, but I think you know on, on Tuesday or Wednesday we'll try and do a, a quick session wrap up and yep. and sort of uh, you know punctuate uh, how things landed. Yeah, absolutely. We look forward to doing that. I hope you look forward to listening to these podcasts. Um, as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please uh, like the podcast, subscribe. Uh, tell your friends and um, we will be back as Michael said next week and we will tentatively schedule a uh, another podcast uh, right after Signy Die just to uh, fill you in on anything that may have happened on Signy Die and just sort of wrap things up for the 2018 session for today Michael and Kevin signing off we hope to see you around town if not we will talk to you soon